Hey moms, welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson Podcast. I am Dorenda and I am thankful that you are here today, that you've joined me today to talk about practical discipline. I've kind of been on a roll lately because uh, discipline is a big deal. You know, when you're with your kids as much as we are when we homeschool, um, I mean, discipline is always important, but in order for it to go well as we're homeschooling, um, we really need to have boundaries in place and we need to have order in our homes. And, um, you know, our culture doesn't really help us out in terms of great discipline practices. And even churches have really failed. I mentioned this in another podcast. have just really failed to, to really teach solid biblical roles in the family, including the role of parents and the, specifically the role of discipline. So I've been talking a lot about that. I've been getting a lot of emails from all of you, messages, um, just thanking me for tackling this topic. Also, you've been sending messages of encouragement, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I have been, um, it's been a, it's been a rough season. I, I think a lot of you know I'm sort of doing the whole menopause hormonal thing. And uh, yeah, I recently found out I basically have no estrogen and no progesterone. Uh, so, and a few other things going on. So I'm having to tackle these um, physical challenges um, that actually end up being emotional and mental and spiritual too. So all that to say, your notes have been very timely. And I just want to say thank you for being an, an encouragement to me along the way. You know, I get on here and I'm here to encourage you That's and to cheer you on. That's why I'm here. I want to mentor you. I want to um, just, you know, call back to you as you are just a little bit behind me um, in this parenting and homeschooling journey. And I just want to call back to you um, encouragement and, and just, like I said, cheering you on um, so that you can walk this journey out well. But before I dive into the topic, I want to let you know that, um, well, gosh, you know, there's always new people here. You might be listening for the first time and thinking, who in the world is this Dorinda woman? <laughs> well, I'm a mom just like you. A mom without a diploma. No, I have a diploma. Without a degree and certainly not a teaching degree. Who has homeschooled all of our kids from the beginning, all eight of them? We've graduated seven so far, and now we've got eight grandkids, and they're being homeschooled. And so it's definitely a lifestyle for our family, and it has been one of the biggest blessings and one of the single best decisions that we ever made. And my husband and I have been married for 32 years, and we we just agreed early on that we were going to homeschool, and uh, we did it, and we're nearing the finish line. But like I said, I'm here to cheer you on and share my experience with you. So if you're new to the podcast, thanks so much for being here. I am glad you've decided to join us. And don't forget to check out the podcast page on my website. At the top of the list of episodes, there's a search bar. So you guys can put keywords in there and find um episodes that relate to maybe what you're dealing with right now. I've got over 290 episodes in there now, so would really encourage you to utilize that search bar. Also, if you haven't checked out uh, the four-hour school day, I would encourage you to do that. It's how you and your kids can thrive in the homeschool life, and it's really based on our 26 years of experience homeschooling all of our kids. 
And I think you'll find some great affirmation. And when you're done with it, you're going to know that you can do this. So I also have another little book. It's called The Unhurried Homeschooler. It is a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling. And I published that about seven, six or seven years ago. And it's still just been, it's still circulating heavily amongst the homeschoolers and new homeschoolers. So I encourage you to check that out if you need something short and to the point. You can get both of those books on Amazon or at my website, DorindaWilson.com. I also want to share with you a magazine that is my favorite magazine, and that is Homeschooling Today. You know, sometimes you just need to get away. You need to get away from the comparisons and the expectations and the voices inside you that say you can't homeschool your kids. Yeah, been there, done that. But this is why I enjoy writing for Homeschooling Today magazine. With its team of experienced homeschoolers, you'll be encouraged and find practical and simple ways to homeschool boldly. I'm really excited about the coming year because the emphasis is on the home part of homeschooling boldly because home is truly the heart of your children's education. So I want to encourage you to get that print subscription. I'll leave a link in the show notes. It's just homeschoolingtoday.com. Find a comfy chair when you when you get that magazine in the mail, grab a cup of coffee and turn off the noise for a bit. Quiet your soul, lean into the unhurried homeschooler that you've always desired to be, and choose to homeschool boldly. Well, we're going to be talking about practical discipline today. You know, the last several podcasts, I've been dealing with different aspects of discipline. And like I said before, discipline is so important. It's a very, very important role, or part of our role as parents. And certainly as homeschooling parents, we get the opportunity. It doesn't always feel like an opportunity, um, but it is an opportunity to really shape, help to be part of shaping the hearts of our kids. We know that God is the one who ultimately does the work, but we get to participate in a really big and very influential and important way when it comes to our kids' hearts. And so we really wanna we really wanna do that job well. And that's why we're talking about the practical aspect of discipline, because you know, I can talk about theoretical discipline, biblical reasons for discipline. But I think it's important to share just some of the things that I personally did um, with our kids and what my husband and I did in our family. Um, It's certainly not going to be the whole scope, but I will touch on several different common struggles when it comes to raising kids, just different things that we deal with, like interrupting and sharing and things like that. But the first thing that I want to do is is give you some encouragement. You know, we, we live in a culture that doesn't value children or the proper raising of them. Then you add to that the amount of perseverance that it takes to do it well. We can often end up feeling exhausted and, you know, just like nobody's really noticing. And even like we're getting nowhere fast, right? Discipline is very repetitive. And sometimes we wonder, is it making an impact or is it not? You know, my husband and I really tried to be consistent. We tried to be on the same page. Um, There came a time when some of our kids were teenagers that we realized there were certain things and we didn't give up completely, but we knew and we felt like there were certain things that they were only going to learn once they left the house. So we stayed our ground but we didn't we didn't sacrifice the relationship over those specific things because we realized 
and, and we don't want to sacrifice a relationship over anything. But but discipline does need to be a priority, and it's more important for us to be our kid's parent than their friend. So we still stood our ground, but with the knowledge that likely that child would probably not learn that specific lesson until they were an adult. And at that point, you can kind of envision what that might look like. So um, all that to say, discipline takes perseverance and it takes determination and it takes it takes the strength of the Lord, really. Um, because, you know, as believing moms, we have to consciously make a point of rejecting the culture's lies. And it's really the enemy's lies that our work that we're doing um, at home with our kids is meaningless and not worthy of our time and effort. That message is constantly resonating throughout our culture. You know, you know, you should not give up your dreams to raise children. And there's a whole lot when people say those kinds of things. Um, it can be in so many different contexts. So we have to be careful about, you know, judging other people's hearts. But at the end of the day, God says that raising children is an absolute priority. It is something he wants us to do. I read um, in the last podcast, I shared Malachi 2.15 that talks about how God God wants us to raise godly offspring. That's what he wants. He wants his people to have children and to raise godly children because that is what is going to make the difference in this world. So we have to remember that our work is is meaningful and it is worthwhile. Ephesians 2:10 says, "For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do." So we have good works within the walls of our homes that have our name on them. And though they might not look or feel glamorous, they actually affect eternity. Because we are working in the name of the Father, not only do our works affect the physical realm, they affect the spiritual realm as well. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. We are raising eternal souls. And each day we are either building our houses up or we're tearing them down. Any important worthy work is going to be met with stiff resistance. That resistance can come from inside of us as we fight against our own flesh or come from the outside in all kinds of ways because the enemy doesn't want us to succeed. He knows that all of this is a very real threat to his kingdom. Now, if you think that sounds far-fetched, I want to turn your attention to Ephesians 6, which begins with, "'Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right.'" Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Then a few verses later, and in context to what we just read, Paul goes on to say in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then it goes on to talk about putting on the armor of God. Now, I am confident that Paul is telling us that family life 
because it's all included in that passage. Family life is a spiritual calling and involves spiritual warfare. And often that warfare simply involves being faithful to our duties each day without wavering. We want to be wise women who build our houses up, not tear them down. So Paul is, you know, this whole passage, it he goes into the fact that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but this is a spiritual warfare that's going on. And he talks about putting on the armor. And that is right on the heels of talking about family. And that's why I'm confident that family life is a spiritual calling. Um, also because, you know, God instituted the family. There's There's all those very foundational things, but this is just affirmation of that same uh, concept. It is a spiritual calling and involves spiritual warfare. And that's why it can be so rough, you guys. And this is why we come up with, we come up against so much resistance. It feels like more than just the practical piece of it. You know, often it just feels like it goes deeper than that because it does. And so we need to be wise women. We want to build our houses up, not tear them down. And so I'm hoping that what I'm sharing with you today will help you um, just sort of help you maybe with a little more creativity, a little bit of thinking outside the box, a little bit of permission to say, oh yeah, I can do that. And I'm not being a mean or bad mother. I'm actually being a good mother. I'm being a godly mother and I'm building my house up by, by confronting this sin or whatever it is that's going on with our kids. So again, wise women who build our houses up, not tear them down. Literally, Proverbs calls the person, the woman who tears it down, a fool. We do not want to be fools. We want to be wise. But that takes faith and courage and strength that only God can give us. So I'm going to challenge you right now. Let's roll up our sleeves and let's be like Nehemiah and the people of Israel who worked with him to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem in spite of much resistance. And I love this scene that it sets. They worked with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. Can you see that? There's the practical in one hand and the spiritual on the other. And this is the way we want to approach disciplining our kids. So because often when it comes to discipline, we are coming face to face with sin. We're coming face to face with sin in our kids sometimes sin in us, and sometimes both at the same time, right? Now, I want to start by defining what sin is. It's not a popular word. It's not a popular topic in the church, but it is a very popular topic in scripture. And so just to give you a little bit of sort of like a a definition, a way to identify it, it is trying to meet legitimate needs through illegitimate means, right? Our kids do that. We do that. That's what sin, that's that's the essence of sin. You know, we do have needs. God knows we have needs. But when we try to meet those needs through illegitimate means or methods, we're sinning against God. And so I just, I, I loved that clarification there. So again, that brings us to this topic of practical discipline. And before I talk about what it looks like and tell some stories, I want to talk about what it doesn't look like, okay? The opposite of training and disciplining our children is indulging them. So what does it mean to indulge them? Well, it can be 
not doing what is actually best for the soul of our child, for their future, for their good. It can also be about being more interested in what the child wants than what God wants. It can be fearing our children or what other people think rather than fearing God first. It can be about laziness, to um, just not wanting to be inconvenienced because let's face it, disciplining our children requires us to be disciplined ourselves. And so we're learning as well along the way. We can learn from a story in the Old Testament how devastating that choice can be to just be lazy, to just um, not do anything because it's inconvenient or um, we just don't want to, you know. 1 Samuel 2, verses 12 through 35. Now, I'm not going to read that story. I would encourage you to go read it. So I'll, I'll list that in the podcast notes, that, um, that reference. Encourage you to go read it. But it's basically the story of the disobedience of the sons of Eli. So as it talks about Eli's response to his son's sin, now they're they are priests in um, in the temple, and that was their that was what they did for work. That was their job. That was their role in the um, Jewish community. But there's talk about the story t- unfolds about Eli and his 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 grown sons and how he responded to their sin. And and there's also the story of Samuel. So you sort of get this comparing and contrasting of this disobedience from Eli and contrasting it with the godly family that Samuel came from. You know, Eli, he would he would verbalize his contempt for his son's misbehavior, but he had zero follow through. Now, granted, they were adults, but they were also under him as a pre, as priests, and so he still had a certain amount of authority over their lives. And um, there were some very, very clear things that 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 these priests were to do and to not do. And these sons were just—they were doing all the things that they weren't supposed to do. So, and then there's another passage, and I'll include it as well. Um, it's 1 Samuel 3, verses 11 to 14, and I want to read that to you because, so picture all of what I just described going on. But then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever. And his house, meaning his household, his family, for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So these sons were doing things that were clearly against God and Eli did nothing about it. And God was not happy about this. So a short time after um, God spoke to Samuel about Eli and his sons, both Eli and his sons died. And this story just reveals the danger of allowing known sin to linger in our households. It is not something to be trifled with. Now, in a previous episode, I talked about providing an environment that encourages obedience and character growth. And I'll include that in the show notes, that link, so you can go back and listen to it if you didn't. This happens not just in our approach, but by having some sort of predictable schedule that includes regular eating and sleeping times. I mean, I explain all of that in that podcast. 
And then in the podcast where I talked about, let's let's talk about discipline, I talked about responsibilities, our responsibilities versus our kids' responsibilities. And I, like I said, I explain it more in that that podcast, and I include I'll include that in the in the show notes. The bottom line: parents are to train our kids in the ways of the Lord. So that means we're walking alongside of them day in, day out. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Now, I wish somebody would have emphasized the repetition part to me. If someone would have just explained to me, this is something you're going to have to do over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. I would have gone, oh, okay. That's why it's called training, you guys. The Bible often refers to discipline or um, raising up children as child training because it goes on. It's, it's repetitious. It continues throughout childhood. Hopefully, the child is learning more and more and becoming wiser as they grow older, but there is a lot of repetition involved. It is worthwhile repetition. The world often, the world is so stuck on instant gratification that there's no encouragement to invest, invest, invest over weeks and months and years. There's just this feeling like, well, if it doesn't give me gratification right away, then it's either a failure or it's not worth my time. Neither one of those things are true when it comes to discipline. So I want you to keep that in mind. It requires perseverance and commitment. Okay, and the children's role, let's just revisit that real quickly. Simple, honor and obey their parents. Again, not easy, but simple. It gives them one thing to focus on, right? One thing. So if mom and dad mess up, that is on mom and dad. But kids are still responsible for their response, Okay, and the consequences, of course, they vary depending on what's age appropriate. I want to just point one thing out because I know that it can be very easy for us to feel guilty for disciplining our kids because we know that we're sinners, right? Parenting is humbling. It brings us to our knees, often brings out the worst in us. That was already there. We just happen to have the privilege of, of being in a situation where God is going to bring it to the surface and sanctify us and cause us to be more like him through it. But let me just say this, your sin does not change the fact that you have the authority in your child's life. You have the authority to discipline them, to train them. That authority was put in place by God when he gave you those kids, knowing that you're a sinner. So no, we don't want to live hypocritical lives before our kids, but we can't let go of our responsibility because we mess up sometimes. So, and when that happens, very easy solution. Do business with your kids and with God. You repent to your kids. You repent to the Lord. Your children are still responsible for whatever part they had in it if they were um, being disrespectful or they were sinning at all. Everyone needs to um, basically just take care of their own responsibilities. So, and we have to encourage our kids and insist that they take responsibility for theirs as well. So with that division of responsibility in mind, I want to just share a couple little side things. It's not our kid's job to decide if something is a good or bad idea, okay? They are not responsible for that. We can ask them what they think. We can have a conversation, But at the end of the day, 
We make the decision because we are responsible for that decision. They are responsible to listen to our direction and know that they are not responsible for the results. Okay, so our children need to learn that. I would tell my kids that, listen, I know you think I'm making a bad decision here or a wrong decision or not one you would want me to make, but that's not the point. I'm responsible for the decision. Whatever consequences come, that's going to come on me. That's going to fall on me. But you need to do what I'm telling you to do and what I'm asking you to do. So it's very similar to our relationship with God. God often asks us to do things that we don't necessarily, we're like, oh, I'm not sure that's such a great idea, you know? But that's not our job to decide whether it's a good or bad idea. Our job is to do what God calls us to do. Because we are human, we are imperfect. Our kids are also maturing by the time they are tweens and teens. So at that point, they will sometimes challenge, pretty much always, let me just rephrase that, pretty much always at certain points, challenge our ideas or direction. This is sort of their way of starting to cut the apron strings. That can be a great thing. We want to see them progressing like that, but it has to be done in a respectful way. So when my kids, uh, our tweens and teens, would would you know want to have a conversation with us about a decision, we let them make like what we call a respectful appeal with the caveat that if our decision didn't change, they were to follow through, trusting God for the results. That's what we encouraged. Another little side note, sometimes there's a situation where um, it's not something where they're part of the problem or the solution, and they're trying to put their two cents worth in. For instance, I'll just give you an example. Maybe you're having a conversation with your spouse about a problem that needs to be solved, doesn't really involve them. That is not their concern because it's not their responsibility. So we have to be careful that we're not handing off responsibility um, to kids or authority to our kids that does not belong to them. So again, we want to keep the lines as clear as possible on who is responsible for what. Also, I, I want to encourage you to remember the exception slash rule concept. I've, I've mentioned this quite a few times in previous episodes, uh, podcast episodes. But basically, when you're deciding whether or not consequences are called for, as opposed to just a warning, think about whether the behavior that you're seeing that you're wanting to correct is the exception or the rule. If most of the time... That child is not, doesn't do that. Just a verbal warning is fine. But if you're noticing that that behavior is becoming the rule, it's time to get more serious with addressing it, going head to head, head to head, toe to toe with it, and really trying to um, make sure that it gets addressed. Another thing that I want to remind you of when it comes to thinking of consequences for our kids, we want to, as much as possible, I mentioned this in Let's Talk About Discipline, we want to stick with natural consequences, okay? So, you know, and, and, and maybe natural consequences that are their currency. For, for example, I'll give you the, the goofing off um, example. You've got a, a child who's just a goof off all the time. Like you tell them to do something, they don't, they don't 
act out. They don't say they're not going to do it. They're not rebellious on the outside, but they're passively being rebellious by just goofing off and not making a point of doing what you've told them to do. And so a lot of times they just want an audience. A kid who is a goof off just loves an audience. So you remove the audience. That makes a big difference. We had a son who loved to goof off and everyone else would be working, but he wouldn't be. And so I would often um, leave him if we were working on a project together. I mentioned this story before, but if we were working on out in the garden and he was goofing off and I, I warned him a couple of times and every time I looked over there, he still wasn't working. When it was time to quit, we all went inside, but I told him he needed to stay and finish doing the work that he didn't do while he was goofing off. And uh, he didn't, he really didn't like that. And even as an adult, he tells me that's one of the things that he remembers that was a really good thing, a good lesson for him that he remembers at his job um, a lot. And so he's a very, very good worker now. But finding our kids' currency, that's another thing. Um, you know, finding that that thing that if you take it away, it will sting. I don't like doing that, you guys. I hate doing that. But it is a necessary thing sometimes. And so we need to make sure that nothing is off limits. Like, you know, I've said this before, birthday parties, upcoming things. If that child is really giving you hassles, you have the freedom and the responsibility to take that privilege away. Um, it's Some kids just really need it to sting before it's actually going to make a difference. So finding their currency is a good thing. Natural consequences are fantastic. Tomato staking is a relationship-based tool, parenting tool, that I describe in another podcast, and I don't want to get into that in this one because it'll make this too long. But I will include the link in the show notes. It's called Tomato Staking, and it's it was it was really great. I really did. Um, that one was a very um, how do I put it? It was effective, and, and and effective in so many different ways. So I'll include that link in the show notes. Also, I think it's important for us to name sins. Now I don't have it in front of me, but Ginger Hubbard has a Wise Words for Mom chart, and it has the the scriptures along with the sins named and listed um, and kind of the biblical remedy for them. So I would suggest um, tracking that down if, if you can possibly do that. Ginger podcast, it would be Ginger podcast. <laughs> she does have a podcast, Ginger Hubbard podcast um, or her website, gingerhubbard.com. So I'll try to remember to put that in the show notes as well. Um, let me write that down. But what we want to do, my point is that we want to know, we want to name it and know it. So we name it so we know what it is. Is it pride? Is it covetousness? Is it um, uh, greed? And then there are always scriptures that we can apply to that specific thing. Now, Kim John Payne was on A Thousand Hours Outside, and I listened to that podcast, which was fantastic. But one of the things that he talked about when it came to education was not um, not to label and limit, but to know and name. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? This applies to discipline as well. We want to name the sin. We want to know what the remedy is according to Scripture, and we want to know it's there, and we want to identify it, Um 
and we want to deal with it biblically, but we don't want to label our kids or and limit them. We don't want to to um, oh, like label them with that sin. He's such a greedy little kid or anything like that. We we don't want that to be we don't want to do that to our kids. We want to know it, we want to name it, and then we want to deal with it biblically. That's very, very important. Now, the first thing that I want to talk about is training sessions for littles. Um, you know, a lot of people think that little children aren't really capable of doing much, and it's true. They, they have a lot to learn, but they are capable of more than we give them credit for. I remember when our kids were little and I needed to not have a baby or even a toddler running around or crawling around without supervision. And I had other kids that I needed to help with schoolwork or read to or whatever. Um, So when I needed to be with those other kids in a hands-on kind of way, um, I needed my little baby or toddler to stay in one place. Now, so I did a thing called blanket time. And what I did was I trained the, the little one to stay on the blanket. Um, that meant that, you know, I would have training sessions. So I would lay the blanket out um, at a different time, not when I'm trying to do something else or when I'm trying to do schoolwork. I was very, you have to be intentional in these training times. It has to be all you're focused on. And training times like this can happen throughout your child's, um, throughout your children's childhood. So, um, and it can, it just takes on different forms, but when they're little like this, I would put, um, let's just say I've got Ben and I put him on the, he's like eight months old. I put him on the blanket and he plays, I put some toys there and he plays for a while, but then of course he wants to turn around and crawl away. So I just take him and I put him back, back there on the blanket. And then I put him back. Every time he crawls away, I put him back on the blanket and we do this for maybe five minutes. And eventually he starts, he stays there longer. Now he might get frustrated. That's okay. It's okay. We can give him a hug, give him a love, a little kiss on the cheek, put him back on the blanket. But what we're saying is you're going to sit on this blanket and, you know, maybe do it for five minutes, then extend it to like 10. And I used to, you know, maybe 15 was the max for for a little one like that. I would also do it with my toddlers if I needed to. So I knew at least when they were trained for that 10 or 15 minutes that I had 10 or 15 minutes to work with these other kids and that those little ones were going to be fine because we can't expect them to be there for, you know, copious amounts of time. But little blocks of time work fine. So I would I would make it so that he was on that blanket for a certain amount of time. And then he got a, a break and, and maybe another child was playing with him for the for another 15 minutes that would allow me to work with another child. So uh, blanket time was a great thing. We could have our children in church and I could put a blanket down on the floor and put t- um, toys down there and he would sit there and play with them because we, this was a regular part of our life. He didn't need me to hold him the whole time. He didn't even need to go to the nursery. He could be with the family, stay with the family, and so could a toddler um, as well. And so our children are capable of a lot. And so you can even look up blanket time and find other moms who talk about it and give maybe some more specifics on that. Okay, interrupting is another really frustrating habit. 
Okay. So the, one of the main things that I did was I would have training sessions with my kids. I would be talking to a child and I would say, okay, now I want you to come up and, and start talking to me or, you know, act like you want to say something to me, come up and tell me this. And so I'll talk with the other child and then, then the other one would come up and they would start talking. And I would say, okay, now here's what I want you to do in this situation. I want you to put your hand on my leg. Just put your hand on my leg and just wait. And I'll know you're there. And when I'm ready to give you the attention that you need to listen to what you have to say, I will turn around and look at you. Now, sometimes it drove me nuts if their hand stayed on me for too long. So I taught them to put their hand on me, count to five, and then take their hand off and wait a little while. And then they could put their hand on me, count to five in their head, and then take their hand off. In this way, they learned patience and they learned that their needs didn't have to be met immediately. So they're learning delayed gratification. They're learning to be other oriented. Um, I remember that I used to be on the phone with a friend of mine fairly frequently. We encouraged each other a lot. My kids would constantly interrupt me while I was on the phone. Well, my friend totally understood it because she had seven kids as well. I said, okay, I need you to help me with this training session, Jana. And she's like, okay, let's do it. So I said, I'm going to put the kid on the phone, the one that does all the interrupting or is constantly interrupting me while I'm on the phone, and I want you to engage him in conversation. So I'd say, hey, Jana wants to talk to you, Sam. So Sam would get on the phone and Jana would just be like, hey, Sam, how are you doing? And he'd be like totally into the conversation. And I would stand there and go, Sam, Sam. And I would tap on his leg, Sam, 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 can I have a drink of water? Sam, can I have some lunch? Oh my goodness, all of a sudden, they realized how frustrating it was to have someone do that. And then I instructed them to do what I would have them do if I were talking to someone in person, put their hand on my leg and wait. So these are some, some ideas for interrupting. You know, interrupting is, you know, it is selfishness. It's just that instant gratification. I want someone to answer me now. And it's not always totally intentional or conscious. Kids are just kids, but we want them to grow in wisdom and in self-control. So we want them to understand how to not interrupt and how to be patient and wait. I remember one time my son was reminding me of this. He knew he wasn't supposed to interrupt me while I was on the phone. So he brought me a sticky note. He was fixing lunch and he knew the phone call would last longer than uh, he said they would all starve if, <laughs> if he didn't get this question asked because he was in charge of lunch. So he put a sticky note, handed me a sticky note, and he goes, you, you rolled your eyes, mom, and, and, uh, and you looked at it, and you were like, okay, yeah, that's fine, because he wanted to make grilled cheese instead of whatever else we had planned. Um, but he goes, then you proceeded to, to correct my spelling. <laughs> Is that a homeschool mom thing or what? Um, but anyway, so those are some ideas on interrupting. Disrespect. I actually did a podcast called Dealing with Disrespect in Our Kids, and I'll include that link in the show notes. One of my main things that I did was when they came off with a flippy attitude and a disrespectful attitude towards me and tone of voice, I would, I would put up my hand and say, okay, wait, try that again. That was code for I'm giving you grace to reword that in a way that's respectful. And sometimes it took two or three times. And again, if this thing became a rule, instead of just the exception, we would invoke other consequences. Things like maybe writing out what he should have said 10 times, you know. Um, 
So that's another, that's just one way that you can deal with disrespect. I have more uh, to say about that in the podcast episode on dealing with respect. Okay, sibling squabbles. Okay, so this is, um, I've got so much to say about this, and I'll probably do it in another podcast at some point. But briefly, I would say to my kids, would you, you know, maybe they would say something that was not kind to the other person or treat them not well. And I would say to them, would you ever treat your friend so-and-so like that? Would you ever treat your friend Nate like that? Would you ever talk to Nate like that? then don't do that with your sibling. And I would tell them, you know, you're going to have friends. There are maybe a friend or two that might stick with you through a lifetime, but maybe not. Friends come and go. They come, they're in season, they're out of season, but these siblings will be your friends for life. You need to care about these relationships. You need to make this relationship important. You need to make things right. You need to restore the relationship when when they break when there's when there's brokenness there the other thing that i would do is ask you know if they, maybe they're arguing i would look at one and say are you treating him the way you want to be treated of course the answer was always no but they would usually start out saying but no that's not the question that's not I don't want to hear an excuse. Just answer the question, yes or no. Are you treating him the way you want to be treated? And and they would always say no. And the other one I would say, okay, are you treating him the way you want want to be treated? And of course, eventually we would get the no answer. All right, so let's dial this back. Tell me what happened at the very beginning of this. And usually we could get down to the fact that somebody responded poorly to the other person. And that could be for a number of reasons. Sometimes there was bitterness there because there's just this ongoing unforgiveness on the part of the person who was offended and respond, reacted that way. So there's, there's always, you know, a lot, a lot of times there's a little more to it than, than what appears on the surface. But uh, depending on their age, you can go into that topic with them. Um, I often referred to, or just even for my own study, would go to the New Testament and look at all the passages that talk about how we're supposed to treat each other as the body of Christ. Because essentially what we're doing is we are not only um, creating bonds between brothers and sisters, we are teaching our kids how to be the body of Christ to each other. So we want our kids to treat each other like God instructs the body of Christ to treat each other each other. So, you know, sometimes that's warning people if they're being lazy or, you know, stepping outside of God's bounds. That means encouraging one another. As long as you call it today, it's spurring one another on toward love and good works. There's so many great passages. I encourage you to go study those passages because it'll help you in your parenting and help you sort of discern how your kids need to be treating each other and kind of what the boundaries need to be. For my older kids, I would often use drive-through talking. Two girls, oldest two, night and day different. I can't even tell you how different they were. Um, they got to the point in their relationship where they were really sad because they could not seem to communicate in a healthy way. So I had learned this drive-through talking concept in premarital counseling. So I pulled it forward to parenting, and it worked really well. I sat them down and I said, okay, you go ahead and tell her just in a few sentences what's frustrating you and and then the other person will get a turn as well. But the first person would say it to the second and then the second would have to repeat it back to them what they heard them say. 
just like when you go through a drive-through, right? You say what you want and they repeat it back to you to make sure they got the order right. We were doing the same thing with the offense or with whatever happened. And so the first time our girls did this, one daughter said what she needed to say and the other one repeated back and it wasn't anything like what she said. And so that was where I was like, wow, they're really almost speaking two different languages and we need to get them on the same page. So we worked really hard together to make that happen. And so I would say after, you know, the, the second daughter repeated and it wasn't anything like what she said, I said, no, that's actually not what she said. I want you to listen again. And I would have the first daughter say, say what you said before. Now, what did you hear? And so eventually we got to the point where they started to actually hear each other. And uh, that was really, really helpful. Now, another sibling story, um, we had uh, two boys, Luke and Sam, who were about, oh, probably eight and six. They were fighting over handcuffs. Yes, it's true. And I said to them, you guys figure this out. Like, just, you can figure this out. And they weren't figuring it out. And finally, I just took the handcuffs and I handcuffed them together and I brought them into the bathroom and I handed them a sponge and a cleaner. And I said, now you two are going to clean the bathtub together handcuffed. So they went, they worked at it for a while. They came out, they begged me. They said, we promise we'll continue to get along. Please just don't, don't make us keep doing this together. And I said, nope, go back and finish the job. They needed to work together. And I often did this. I would pair two kids who I knew were going to fight. I knew weren't going to get along. It was going to bring crap to the surface. And I did it intentionally because I wanted their relationship to be worked on. I wanted them to not um, just avoid each other, but to actually have to do a task together and figure it out. And so that was exhausting, but well worth it. Um, all right, so let's talk about sharing. I actually talked about this in a different podcast. Um, stewarding, we want our kids to steward their things well and their relationships well, right? We want them to do both of those things well. So we never insisted that our children share. We encouraged it, but we let our children feel the consequences of what it was like when you didn't, when you chose not to share with someone. So here's what we did. Pretty much every item in our house had an owner. Very few things were community property. And this helped tremendously because let's just say that Ben won't share his toy with Jake. And I say, well, whose toy is it? Well, it's Ben's because Jake would maybe complain to me and say, you know, he's not sharing. I say, well, whose toy is it? Well, it's Ben's. Well, then he can keep that toy if he wants to. He owns it. If he wants to share it, he can share it, but he doesn't have to. Because at the end of the day, as adults, I can't go over to my neighbor and make him share my, his lawnmower with me, right? I can ask, but he has every right to say no to me. Personal property. We are not a socialist uh, culture yet. We're not a communist culture. We are, really, our culture is ultimately based originally on personal responsibility, personal property, constitutional, uh, constitute on the constitution, right? Where each person has their own property and it's theirs, right? You don't have to share it. 
Um, You don't get to steal it from someone. You don't get to borrow it without asking. Um, Everything doesn't belong to everyone. There's ownership. And that goes back to scripture. So we want to encourage our kids to, um, to understand that. So at the end of the day, if Ben continues to not share, not share, not share, guess what? No one else is going to want to share with him. And he's going to start to feel that, and he's going to complain about it. And I'm going to say to Ben, well, you're not very good about sharing with your siblings, so, you know, Jake won't share that toy with you. Who does it belong to? Well, it belongs to Jake. He doesn't have to share it with you. So that's kind of the attitude that we took when it came to sharing. Of course, we're going to encourage it. Of course, we want our kids to share, but we did not force it. We wanted it to be a heart change, not just a behavior change. Now, I remember at one point, um, this is this is really just more like a stealing issue. Um, and we had a son who took one of his brother's Hot Wheels, went to homeschool co-op, and traded it for a chocolate bar. And when I found out, I said, First of all, that was stealing. That car did not belong to you, and you had no right to sell it or to give it to your friend or to trade it for anything. It wasn't yours. So I had to, um, so basically what I did was I gave him at dinner time, everybody got their dinner. I put his plate in front of him, and all it had was chocolate on it. As I said, if you love chocolate so much that you're willing to steal from your brother and sell something that isn't yours, you're willing to sin over it, then just have at it. You can have all you want here. And he didn't get any dinner. That that left an impact on him. And it sounds mean, but one skipped dinner is not going to kill our children. All right, so um, an attitude. Let's talk about attitudes. What, do I, what did I do when someone had a bad attitude? Well, mainly what I would do is I would say, look, you need to straighten up your attitude. You're poisoning everybody around you, you know, whether it was complaining or whatever it was. And I would say, and, and if they didn't take the warning, I would say, you need to go get on your bed and stay there until you can have some self-control or until you can be happy, depending on their age, you know, gives them time to think about it, time to be alone, time to readjust, time to gather themselves and have the self and, and learn the self-control. It just hits the pause button. And it also keeps all the other children from becoming poisoned by that attitude because we know it spreads very, very quickly. And our kids to this day still remember they had a bad attitude. They just needed to go be alone. Now, you've always got that kid who actually wants to be alone, but even then it's still a reset for them. So it can still be a really great um, consequence. Now let's talk about, uh, we, I talked a little bit about ignoring and goofing off. Well, I had kids in the car, the back of the car, who were just loud. And I had told them to quiet down, told them to quiet down. They just weren't doing it. So finally, I just decided I'm not saying anything else. We got home and we had bought pizza and gotten a movie for everybody to have a family movie night. And they were so excited. The, the, these were the numbers six and seven. Um, and I and and they were just like showing all this excitement about the pizza in the movie. And I looked at them and said, oh, no, I'm sorry. You don't get to do the pizza or the movie because I told you to stop being wild in the back of the car and you chose not to. That was your decision, not mine. This is very important. We need our kids to understand when we're doling out consequences that that 
they know that we did not make that decision, but it's very clear that they made that decision. And when they made that decision, they chose the consequences. And every time we do that, we put a stake down in our authority as parents, and they are less likely to mess with us in the future. And that is a good thing. Okay, so they had to go to bed with peanut butter and jelly, and that was it. They didn't get pizza, they didn't get to watch the movie, and they never forgot that. Oh, they they howled, they cried, but it needed to happen. And you know what? It worked. So um, another, when they're not willing to stay on task, you know, that, that goofing off thing, we had a routine. So goofing off long enough actually led to losing their independent time in the afternoon. So if they were goofing off, doing their chores in the morning or their schoolwork, it just cost them in the afternoon. Not me, not the other kids, just them. The independent time that they were guaranteed every afternoon was spent making up for the time that they goofed off. I uh, shared about working in the garden, that goofing off story. Um, I've also had him, you know, where he wasn't doing his vacuuming and I just decided I'm not going to get mad with encouragement of a friend. Um, you know, she, I was on the phone with her. I'm like, I'm so frustrated. I'm going to kill him. She goes, no, no, don't do that. Your children need a mother. They don't need you to be in jail. (laughs) So she said, remember what's his currency? Oh, well, he likes to do fun things and he likes to goof off and be with the rest of the kids. So alone time is what he got. He was in his room most of the day alone and he never, ever forgot that. I brought him his meals, um, I didn't really let him play with much of anything except what was on his bed. Um, And it had a profound effect on him. And so obviously in all these situations and in any discipline situation, there's a time and a place for grace. But moms, we can't be weak-willed when it comes to disciplining our kids. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 8 talks about terrible times when people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now, how do people get to that point? It starts way back when the parents would not discipline. And when we don't discipline, we are essentially encouraging that kind of behavior in our kids, and we are welcoming it into our homes. Let's just say no, moms. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's do the job that God has put in front of us to do. Because this passage goes on to say that they are the kind, these 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 people with all these horrible um, qualities— are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. We want, we don't want to be women who allow any of that kind of behavior to come into our home, whether it's through someone else or through our own children. We have to understand the enemy will use our flesh. The enemy will sometimes use our children to wreak havoc in our home. And we need to take our authority 
as parents seriously and not allow the enemy to come in. We do not allow him to get a foothold in any way, shape, or form. So again, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's do this job that God has called us to. He will give us the grace and the strength to do what he has called us to do. He's not going to call us to it and then not give us what we need, but we're going to have to go to him. We're going to have to lean into him. We're going to have to depend on him. We're going to have to search his word and trust him for the wisdom for each of our particular situations. I hope you are encouraged today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the fact that you love our children more than we do, and that is why you have called us to discipline them and to train them. Father, we want them to have good lives. We want them to have fruitful lives. We want them to know you. We want them to be godly. We want them to have an impact on the world for the kingdom. But that starts now. It starts at home. It starts within the walls of our home. And as much work and perseverance as it takes, may we be found faithful to do exactly what you have called us to do in this season. In Jesus' name, amen. 